Fight to the finish against fraud, treason. It's the people against the government, and they want you to bow down. Not a chance. It's truth against the lie. TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Gotta be honest with you, sometimes it's really difficult to determine which is truth and which is the lie and who's telling what. Lots of whoppers going around. I bet you agree with me there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Tuesday. I said Tuesday. I'm a Southerner. We don't say Tuesday. <laughs> well, that may be the only time we uh, we snicker today because, my goodness, we're over the hill with debacle after debacle in our nation. There's so many things going on and so many people involved in things that They really don't have to be involved in, but they find themselves mired in the middle of conflict from every corner of the world, even right here at home. We we just can't get things figured out and get solid answers for our questions on which we can make good choices, good decisions. But you know what? At the end of all of this, I promise you we're going to be okay. I don't care how bad it goes far left or far right. We're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. We've got to make that our fundamental centering in our minds and our hearts. It's going to be okay. Just look around you, folks. Look around in your life. Look who's part of your life today. Look who's feeding into who you are and helping you comprehend and understand, giving you facts, not trying to slap you over the head when you disagree with something they say, especially when you're just trying to find out if what they're saying is the truth. And just because somebody says something is true doesn't necessarily mean it is. And what we have to do is find ways to determine, to confirm the truth or confirm the falseness of things that we are told are factual. And there's plenty enough of that to go around. I can promise you we could do that 24-7 all day, every day. And we'd never get it all covered. So how do we, how do we focus? How do we get a, a root, uh, get our roots in the ground, get something that we can base everything on? You got to start not looking around, but looking within, looking inside, finding out where you are in your mind, in your heart, in your emotions. And then try to make some concrete, unemotional choices for the direction you're going to go. And remember this, as adults, most of us have a bunch of folks that are looking in that we're responsible for in some way. If we're a business operator, if we're a manager in a business, if we're a mama or a dad, or if we're just working for someone else. There are a lot of people that depend upon us. Many times we just take for granted the choices that we have to make every day. And then there are those that just don't make. They refuse to make choices. And they think they're going to obfuscate the responsibilities that they have. And so they don't make choices. That in itself is a choice. You can't get out of making choices. So why not find the ways to make the choices correct? There you go. We can get through this. 
So what are we going to get into today? Of course, we've got Afghanistan, and it just gets, as we peel back layer after layer of this onion, Afghanistan, we find more and more and more craziness coming from Washington, D.C., from those that are in authority over us, from the White House on down. I mean, the Pentagon, the White House, the State Department, the CIA, the FBI, all of them rolled in and then across town (laughs) or just down the way you have Congress. O-M-G. Sometimes I think uh, when I look towards the Potomac Valley, at least mentally, and I've been up there a bunch, I'm not a big fan of Washington, D.C. The last time I was there, I was in a cab headed from Reagan Airport to Washington Hospital Center to meet with a client there in the middle of the day. And in the middle of the day, we heard gunfire. The cabbie pulled over and told me to lay down in the back seat because there was gunfire going on in the middle of the day in D.C. in a pretty decent part of town. But you know what? Sometimes I look at D.C., sometimes I look at what I see of D.C., and I've had this thought more than once in my life, probably more than 100 times in my life. The best thing we could do was take all of those lawmakers up there, all of them, everybody involved in that process, and if we just took the heads of each one of them and put them in a pile, it'd be a pretty big, tall rock pile and very little else. It just seems like there's not much expertise in the way of knowledge and the use of intellect and the use of the knowledge that they have. There are pretty pretty smart people in the U.S. Congress. But they don't use their smarts in the right direction very much of the time, in my opinion. And you know what, folks? My opinion is no different from you having an opinion of your own. Just because I think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because I think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But I've got to make determinations, just as you do. And we need to be able to do that in freedom without being afraid of what everybody else thinks about the choices we make. And speaking of choices, we have so many that are facing us. Think about those folks that are Americans and are behind Taliban lines in Kabul and elsewhere across Afghanistan. Folks, we're just one week today away from that Joe Biden slash Taliban um, expiration date. We've got to be out, out of Afghanistan. Americans got to be out of Afghanistan by the 31st, a week from today. And looking around at the landscape of what's going on over there and what it will take to get everybody that's Uh, in line to get out. The Afghanis that worked with our government over the last 20 years and also Americans that are stuck over there. Stranded is what they really are, but of course in D.C., in the White House, you can't use that term about those people being stuck over there and can't get out. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But how are we going to get started today? Let me tell you this. Let's just step back from the noise you know, sometimes if, um, if there's a big argument going on, maybe it's between your kids and your wife or your husband and your wife or your kids' friends and, and uh, you don't want to get in the middle of it and you just kind of back up a little bit and observe. Sometimes when you do that, you get more objective and more realistic information 
than if you jump right into the middle of it. So that's what I did overnight. I said, you know what? I'm going to look at this presidency. I've got, I've got really negative feelings about the way the Biden administration has gone. I don't think that those people in the Biden administration, including President Biden, Vice President Harris, I don't think they are accomplishing anything they told us they would accomplish. And they certainly are failing at a whole bunch of things that they promised they wouldn't fail at. And we're just seven months into this thing, folks. Seven months. What does that mean? It means we've got three and a half more years of it. And if we don't get a few things straight pretty quick, it's going to be a rocky three and a half years. You can bet on that. In fact, I don't see a way if something doesn't change and change quickly, this president survives three and a half more years. I know factually there's a big move on Capitol Hill to do something about that. His cognitive ability that has really diminished dramatically even since the campaign started. And you can see a marked slide downhill further just since January 20th when he took the oath of office. And in that context, I'm going to tell you this. I prayed for President Biden this morning. I prayed for Vice President Kamala Harris. I don't want the pilot and the co-pilot on the plane we're on to crash while we're on it. I want them at least to get us to the next town, the next city, the next airport where we can land and be safe. And I'm sure you do too. So pray for those in authority over us. Not only should we do it just because we don't want them to crash, we should do it because the Bible teaches Christians to do just that. But in doing that, I stepped back overnight and I said, you know what? I'm going to analyze what's going on now within the context of, uh, of uh, where I've been, what I have seen in my lifetime. I mean, what's wrong with making comparisons? You got to have a, a basis on which to draw opinions from. So I asked myself this question and I decided, I decided to sit down and write the way that I felt. Who's been worse in the Oval Office during my lifetime? Jimmy Carter or Joe Biden? So I'm 68 years old, just turned 68, born 1953. I don't remember President Eisenhower's presidency. I was in the world when that happened, but I was not cognizant of politics, believe me. But I do remember JFK's time in office, John F. Kennedy, and of course, every president since. There's been a stinker or two in the White House, there's no doubt. And then, folks, there's Joe Biden. John F. Kennedy was the recipient of the angst of the Soviet Union and the Bay of Pigs debacle down in Cuba. You remember that one? We were literally just minutes away from a probable war that could have escalated to a nuclear war instantly with Russia. And then the vice president under JFK, Lyndon B. Johnson, who was sworn in as president when JFK was assassinated in Dallas. Johnson was the actual architect of U.S. involvement in Southeast Asia and Vietnam. Now, he never declared war over there. Never did. But years and thousands of American lives later, numerous young Americans returned to the U.S. from the rice paddies of Vietnam only to be confronted with the hatred 
and demonstrations of Americans who despised the war and all who participated in it. Those GIs couldn't understand the angst against them. They just went to do their service for their country. There were some really big winners in the Vietnam mess. (laughs) Follow the money. Defense contractors who won multi-billion dollar military contracts they received as handouts from their buddy in the White House. The losers were citizens of the Southeast Asian country and American GIs who made it out and the family members of the thousands who did not. And then there was Richard Nixon. His presidency, he personally and his presidency were both a disaster. Politics control took control of the White House. Nixon went after his political opponents in a manner only um, ever seen perpetrated by a bunch of thugs. Who can forget the Watergate break-in perpetrated by Nixon henchmen to get documents and data from the headquarters of the Democrat National Party? Nixon resigned in the face of certain impeachment. They gave him a chance to bow out peacefully or be impeached, and he took the bow-out road. And then Jimmy Carter. In my opinion, Jimmy Carter, who was elected November the 2nd, 1976, and I remember uh, the reason I remember that date so clearly is that was the birth date, the day that Corey, our youngest daughter, was born that day. Jimmy Carter was the worst president in modern history in a bunch of different ways. On his watch, 100-plus Americans were held hostage in Iran for more than a year. Inflation soared under his egregious financial policies. Prime lending rate folks hit 20%, and that destroyed numerous countries, destroyed numerous Corporations, the market for homeowners and those purchasing homes here in the U.S., mortgage rates hit 18%. Even Ronald Reagan struggled through an affair. It was called an affair, the Iran-Contra affair. It wasn't an affair with another woman. It was an affair with a group of um, so-called fighters, freedom fighters down there. Bush 41 invaded Iraq in the name of pushing Hussein out of Kuwait. Bill Clinton had an affair with Monica Lewinsky, a White House intern that played out literally in the Oval Office, and he was impeached for committing perjury in a civil trial and also for suborning perjury. Bush 43 followed his father's lead, went to war with Hussein in Iraq to find Weapons of mass destruction that weren't weren't ever they weren't found they weren't there. That came right after 9/11 and the twin towers toppling. Obama took spending taxpayer dollars on government giveouts to a never before seen level. Who can forget those shovel ready jobs that he later admitted weren't really quite yet shovel ready. And then there's Joe Biden. Robert Gates, you remember that name? He served under President George H.W. Bush as CIA director and then as Secretary of Defense for George W. Bush. He became the first Secretary of Defense in U.S. history to be asked to remain in the next president's administration, and that was that of Barack Obama. 
Gates knew Joe Biden for decades. The two served in Washington during the same time periods. And Gates knew Biden specifically from a foreign policy perspective. He years ago made what seems to many to have been a prophetic word about then-Senator Joe Biden. Here's what he said. Joe Biden has been wrong on every foreign policy position he has ever taken. Today, many Americans, even Afghan citizens, American citizens in our southern states, even foreign leaders agree today that Gates was right about Biden. Joe Biden has badly, visibly bungled America's withdrawal from Afghanistan. He's compounded the problem with his sluggish and dishonest public statements. This has gone so badly that even people in institutions that are normally sympathetic to Biden and his party are weighing in. They're past the point of just taking notice, folks. American allies have been appalled and very vocal about it. And what is slowly dawning on people is that Biden's critics were right about him all the time. Not since James Buchanan, he was around way before you and me, but he was president. Not since his presidency has America had a president who came so prepared by experience for the job, yet had so little clue of how to do it. That reality will be shoved from consciousness soon enough by people with a professional stake and not acknowledging it, like the mainstream media. But a growing number of the American people are likely to remember. So will our allies, and so will our enemies around the world. It was possible, if you didn't look too closely, to construct a case on paper over the past year and a half for Joe Biden as an appropriate person to be president, commander-in-chief of its armed forces and leader of the free world. Certainly, Biden didn't lack experience in high national public office. It's exposing him to everything a man would need in order to be prepared for the job of commander-in-chief. He was a senator for 36 years, by goodness, dating back to the closing days of the Vietnam War. He chaired the Senate Foreign Relations Committee two different times, including during the post-9-11 era when Congress authorized the wars in Afghanistan and also in Iraq. He served two terms as VP. He traveled the war zones, met scores of foreign leaders, everybody in politics around the world. They knew Joe Biden. Biden was also a man who came up from humble means and was seasoned by personal tragedy. One could characterize his years in office as the record of a public servant who values important institutions, took many mainstream positions, and showed a willingness and ability to work with people on the other side of the aisle. Yet longtime Biden watchers knew better all along. Two sets of critiques of Biden have followed him over the course of his career. And Republicans and conservatives have hardly been the only ones to level them. First, the things people noticed about him before 2019. For all his time serving in Washington, Biden was widely understood to be a lightweight, a tale teller, a plagiarist, an exaggerating braggart, a walking gaffe machine, a purveyor of malarkey who covered his inch-deep grasp of everything with his Irish charm 
and his ability to talk fast and talk for a long time until the listener had long since lost track of what he was talking about. He rarely had ideas of his own. And when he did, they were usually the subject of mockery. His capacity for filling airtime at Senate hearings without actually saying anything was legendary. Yet, as Clarence Thomas, now Justice, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and others warned, Biden could also be two-faced, reassuring people with promises in private, only to break them in public. He could handle the Senate because he'd been there since he was 29. There are lots of places to hide from accountability as when you're just one of a hundred. When Obama made the biggest right decision of his career to take out Obama bin Laden, Biden was the guy in the room, the only one in the room, saying, Mr. President, my suggestion is don't go. Because there could be nobody to pass the political buck to if it failed. And it wasn't just the bin Laden raid. Biden was also known for being wrong on just about every significant foreign policy issue in D.C. for half a century, from the Cold War to the War on Terror. In 1973 to 75, after the U.S. signed the Paris Peace Accords that were supposed to end the Vietnam War without the collapse of Vietnam, Biden was a loud voice in the Senate for cutting off any further U.S. assistance to prevent the North from overrunning the South. He didn't care about our moral obligations. Listen to what he said. I may be the most immoral son of a gun in this room. He said that at a Democratic caucus in early 1975 as he argued against aid to Cambodia. I'm getting sick and tired, he said, of hearing about morality, our moral obligation. There's a point where you are incapable of meeting moral obligations that exist worldwide. And he didn't care what happened to the people we abandoned either. Quote, I do not believe the United States has an obligation, moral or otherwise, to evacuate foreign nationals. The United States has no obligation to evacuate one or 100,001 South Vietnamese. Obama was in high school in Hawaii in the years that led up to the fall of Saigon. Trump was still just another no-name real estate developer from Queens. George W. Bush, Bush 43, was packing off to Harvard Business School. Bill Clinton, fresh out of law school, was teaching in Arkansas. Jimmy Carter was winding down his single term as governor of Georgia, still unknown on the national stage. Ronald Reagan was leaving behind his governorship in California and gearing up for his first serious national campaign. But Joe? Joe Biden was already in D.C. helping shape the congressional policy that tied the hands of Gerald Ford while Saigon was overrun. Hawks and doves alike blasted Biden for opposing the Gulf War in 1991 supporting the Iraq War in 2002 and 3, opposing the surge in 07, supporting the 2009-11 withdrawal, a move that was seconded by Tony Blinken, by the way, and Lloyd Austin, by the way, now his Secretaries of State and Defense. That's a bunch of bad decisions rolled into just a few folks, I promise you. In 2010, Biden boasted of the U.S. departure from Iraq, 
saying, Some said that our drawdown would bring about more violence. Well, they were wrong because the Iraqis are ready to take charge. But we all remember, who can forget, instead, ISIS took over nearly half the country and the United States had to go back to war. Think about that in the context of what we're facing right now, today, on his watch, when he is the boss. Biden never actually ran anything bigger than a Senate committee, which, by the way, runs on its staff until he was vice president. The things he ran as VP, such as overseeing the stimulus, were notable disasters. Politico, not a conservative bastion of journalism by any stretch, Politico reported that Biden's own boss, Barack Obama, warned another Democrat in 2016, quote, don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. It's not been hard to notice how much Obama's kept his distance from his former Veep, as Biden does just that. You might prefer partying on Martha's Vineyard with George Clooney and John Legend, too, if the alternative was making your political legacy a hostage to fortune in the hands of this guy, Joe Biden. The facade of Biden's charm was also prone to cracking when he was actually pushed to do more than just run his mouth. His infamous meltdowns on the campaign trail way back in 1987 happened when reporters were hot on his trail for stealing another man's speeches and biography. Biden told one voter, I have a much higher IQ than you do, I suspect. And he tried to shout down the press with a series of lies about his academic attainments. He justified his lies by saying this, quote, I exaggerate when I'm angry. (laughs) Yeah, we noticed. When he debated Paul Ryan in 2012, remember it? He went full Joe Biden, shouting over Ryan repeatedly to prevent any sort of engagement with his ideas on those little things called facts. With Biden's 2020 campaign came a second set of newer critiques. He was visibly not the same man in his late 70s, no longer able to talk his way around trouble. He talked his way into trouble and still does every day. That was widely noticed by progressives in the primaries until it became inconvenient to mention. The quick tongue gaffes turned to confusion and sentences that were abandoned midstream after Biden lost his way. Without the old gift of BS, Biden's fuse when confronted was shorter, much shorter. He called one voter, I, I, I heard this and I've never heard this before, and I, my jaw dropped when I heard him say this. He called one voter a lying dog-faced pony soldier. Where in the heck did he find that? A lying dog-faced pony soldier. And he berated another with, look, fat, and challenged the guy to a push-up contest. The man once would talk to anybody about anything for any amount of time. He retreated to taking questions during his campaign only from the pre-scripted list of friendly reporters. Biden was always a man with no courage. But now, he was discarding long-held positions overnight, allowing himself to be bullied by his own party's extremists. Generational changes in Congress 
had also robbed him of his feel for how the hill works now. The pandemic, oh my goodness, it was a godsend for Joe. It allowed him to hide in his basement for months, avoid unscripted questions. He won the election by making himself as small and low profile as he needed to be. Opinion polls for much of this year have shown him enjoying a honeymoon period with voters tired of Trump who are happy to have an absentee president for a bit. But Afghanistan, the Taliban, ISIS, and real foreign policy were certain to expose Joe Biden. And they have. Leon Panetta, remember him? He was the defense secretary under Obama from 2011 to 13, and a man who served alongside Biden for decades, looked at the inept execution of this withdrawal from Afghanistan and commented this, it just struck me that they were crossing their fingers and hoping chaos would not result. Panetta suggested that Biden just isn't the man that he used to be anymore. It's not the Joe Biden that I often saw in the National Security Council raising questions about the planning involved in any decision that the president had to face. Three different Senate committees, all led by Democrats, have now promised to launch probes of what went wrong, a highly unusual display given the long-standing refusal of Democrats on Capitol Hill to investigate their own administrations. New Jersey's Bob Menendez, who's got a bunch of personal baggage himself, said this, I'm disappointed that the Biden administration clearly did not accurately assess the implications of a rapid U.S. withdrawal. We are now witnessing the horrifying results of many years of policy and intelligence failures. It's long past time, folks, long past time for people to notice who Joe Biden always was and who he has become in his advanced and obvious cognitive decline. He's a hollow man. He's incapable of managing a picnic, yet alone a war. His credibility, always unearned throughout his political career, it's gone, it's shot, it's over. His only real skill is his quick tongue, and it's deserted him too. Even his one-time virtues, his old-timey patriotism, his faith in institutions, his empathy for others, are discarded easily, and the man reverts to his base instincts when cornered every time now. In other words, he's no longer diplomatic if he ever even was. Biden must hobble through the remainder of this presidency He's got to, folks. Why? If only because the alternative is Kamala Harris, who was his inexplicable choice as running mate or threat of an heir. But nobody should any longer pretend that Joe Biden is fit to lead this nation. Joe's got to go. Joe's got to go, period. Oh, P.S. Hats off this morning to Jimmy Carter. In just six months, Joe Biden snatched the forever worst president trophy from Jimmy Carter. And there's no doubt, folks, no doubt whatsoever, and we're seven months into his administration, nobody can say 
that Joe does not own that trophy and owns that trophy by a lot. <laughs> there is no question of that. I thought I would never. I could. I, I struggled. I was in the car business. In the car business, in management, when Jimmy Carter was president. And I'm sure you know what floor plan is for a car dealership specifically. When the cars come in, the new cars come in, the dealers don't pay for them, but somebody's got to. So if, if you're a Ford dealer, you have an automatic deal with Ford Motor Credit. They floor plan. They'll pay Ford Motor Company, and you just pay what's called floor plan interest monthly until you sell that car, and then you pay it off when you sell it. It was always, has always been tied, the rate that you pay is 1% over prime interest. So back then, prime, when I first got in the car business in 75, Prime was at 5%, so we were paying 6%. Well, you kept a car a short period of time, hopefully, and you would sell it, and they gave you 15 days of free interest. So you try to sell it quickly. Prime went to 20%. So I, when I was in Bastrop, Louisiana, as general sales manager, courtesy Ford Lincoln Mercury Toyota, I saw floor plan interest tech, uh, checks, which is what you pay before you ever open the doors to do business, before you ever hire anybody, body shop, service department, salespeople, people in the business office, before you hire the first person, turn on the lights one time, we were writing $60,000 floor plan interest checks. And before they'd been four or 5,000. That's kind of hard to survive. I thought nobody would ever eclipse that. And I do have a beautiful memory of November 2nd, 1976. We had a daughter born that day. But in the shadows was Jimmy Carter, elected president. Joe Biden makes Jimmy Carter today look like a saint. <laughs> Folks, we're just getting cranked up. We got so many things to get into. Don't go anywhere. We're back in two minutes here at TNN Live. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships. Like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Experience WOW customer service at TennisExpress.com. 24-7 phone support and live chat. Product reviews on the latest gear and discounts for your team. Secure payment options with PayPal, Amazon, and more. Exclusive products including limited edition tees. Rackets strung by master racket technicians on state-of-the-art machines. Plus, free shipping on orders over $25. Shop TennisExpress.com today. 
ten to the ten to the ten to the ten, ten to the ten to the ten to the ten 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 ten. Planet Fitness, through the use of motivating montage music, has made it easy to join. Just remember ten ten ten. For ten days, sign up for ten dollars and pay just ten bucks a month. After that, hurry! You only have until November tenth to take advantage of this Planet Fitness offer. Planet Fitness on Forty Second Street, next to Shopco. Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Hey, don't forget, anytime you want to join the show, the conversation, weigh in with your opinion, ask questions, or tell us how stupid we are, (laughs) you have a green light to do just that. We'll even pay for the phone call. Toll free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. 1-866-378-7884. Love to chat with you. And this is not radio. It's a streaming podcast. It's Technically, it is streaming radio, except... It's not broadcast like radio. There are no towers anywhere broadcasting a signal. But this show does appear in 90 different countries. Uh, think about that, folks. Think about think about technology today. How does this work? I'm sitting in a studio in my house in South Shreveport right now. And I am on an iMac with software. And uh, I'm, connect through, I'm connected through a software package that's on my iMac called GarageBand, which comes on every iMac. And all of our content goes into GarageBand, and it goes out live on the internet here in Shreveport, Louisiana. That signal on AT&T Fiber is beamed up through satellite to Dallas-Fort Worth. That satellite, 25,000 miles up, 25,000 miles down, and then there's a relay in Dallas, And it goes to Seattle, Washington, 25,000 miles up to a satellite, 25,000 miles down to Seattle. From there, it's beamed out to countries all across the world. Isn't it amazing where we've come, how easy it is to reach people around the world now? I got an email yesterday from one of our followers in Russia asking a question about a story. It's crazy. We have a pocket of people in Southeastern Asia in China we have hundreds of people I don't know I don't know what that's all about in China that are listening in Kuala Lumpur Malaysia Singapore New Zealand all over South America up in Canada it's crazy people find this show and people everywhere around the world are trying hard to find information on which they can rely We don't take this responsibility lightly. We really don't. And we're so thankful this door is available to pass out information. Yeah, sometimes what we say here is our opinions. And I guess the reason we can do that, there's two, it's two-part answer. Number one, we do live in the greatest nation on earth. We do have a constitution. And the First Amendment in that constitution guarantees the freedom of speech for everybody. And freedom of speech, when you dumb down the definition, says it's the right to say anything to anybody and you can't be prosecuted by the government for doing so. You may get hit in the mouth, but the government's not going to squash what you're trying to say. And then secondly, the second reason we can do this is because I own this show and I can do it because I want to do it. (laughs) I'm just kidding, folks. 
I'm just kidding. It is a big responsibility. And in these breaks, when we go to these breaks, I'm constantly looking at emails and texts that come to us live during the show. And one that uh, I've been going back and forth with this morning, Evangel Christian Academy in Shreveport, Louisiana, very famous Christian school established back, uh, I think, in the 80s. Um, Great athletics, great academics. Even though it's a private school, people would think, especially in the South, if you have a private school, it's got to be established because of race, racial segregation in those schools. About 50% of the student body at Evangel is not white. Other colors, Asian, African-American, Hispanic. And all that being said, it's a, it's a great spot to get a picture of living in the world and having our children living in a, in a situation where everybody that's standing around them, sitting around them, walking around them, is not the same kind of people that they are, at least skin color, ethnicity, nation of origin. And doing so, kids get a younger education and, and really get firsthand experience at integrating with people that aren't the same as them. That's a really good thing. I said, to say, I said that to say this. Athletics there are amazing. 14 state football championships in Louisiana by Evangel Christian Academy. And they're not playing in a private school system. They're playing in the Louisiana LHSAA, which is the Louisiana High School Athletic Association, with all the public schools, too. Just a great history of excelling and doing the best that we can possibly do with the resources that we have. Thursday night this week, there's a Meet the Player um, dinner auction at Shreveport Community Church. And... uh, I've been going back and forth this morning with several people who are texting me. I, I do the auction. I'm, an, I'm a so-called auctioneer. We used to have pros come in and do it, but the pros that used to do it are no longer available. And so I got stuck at doing it. So I'm really not an auctioneer, but I stand up front and watch for people to raise their hands and spend money. We have Thursday night, we really have four great items up for auction. There are four framed jerseys of professional baseball players. One is Nolan Ryan. You remember Nolan Ryan? He played for the Mets. He played for the Angels. He played for the Rangers. Then he was part of a group that bought the Rangers. He's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. We have a jersey from Nolan Ryan that he autographed, and it's from when he played for the California Angels. Then we have, who else do we have? Oh, by the way, Hank Aaron formerly held the home run lifetime record for many, many years. Hank Aaron played for the Milwaukee Braves. The Braves moved to Atlanta. He played ball there in Atlanta. And uh, sadly, he passed away from COVID-19 early this year. We have a signed jersey by uh, Hank Aaron. Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson Long time with the New York Yankees, started his career with the Oakland Raiders. We have an Oakland Raiders Reggie Jackson jersey. And then the one that I'm the fondest of, it's a New York Yankees jersey, and it's signed by a guy named Jim Laritz. You probably never heard of Jim Laritz. Well, the Yankees played 
in the World Series in 1999, and they won that year. And during the last game of that World Series, one guy hit the final home run in Major League Baseball for the century, the whole century of the 1900s. Jim Laritz, outfielder for the Yankees, and he wore this jersey when he hit the home run. Signed it, he wrote on the jersey that that was his jersey when he hit the last home run of the 20th century. Those are up for auction, so I've gotten several texts and emails about, hey, hey, we we thought about putting them up on eBay for the first part of the week, but there are a lot of people that have bought tables and are local and maybe don't get a chance to get involved in big-time sports memorabilia stuff, and so we haven't put them up on eBay because, to be honest with you, we're kind of afraid that it would sell, the four would sell before the Thursday night chance. So I'm saying all that to say this. We're involved in a lot of different things, and I encourage you to do the same thing. And go all in. Whatever it is that you do, go all in. Find things to get involved in that includes you, you your, your, your spouse, your kids, and get involved in every level of their lives. We have so many diversions, things that uh, grab our concentration, that often we let, uh, we let things get in the way. Just thought I'd drop that on you. And uh, by the way, if you're in the area of Shreveport, Louisiana, on Thursday evening at 6 o'clock, drop by Shreveport Community Church and uh, you'll get a great meal and you'll get a chance to look in on some really cool things that are for sale. It's not all sports memorabilia. People donate things. We always have grills. Uh, People will donate uh, beach houses and condos in a week here and there for people to... uh, They'll donate it to the auction and people will buy. And usually it's in Gulf Shores, Alabama or uh, Destin, Florida. Lots of things like that. So drop by if you want. If you want any more information, you can uh, drop me an email, dan at truthnewsnet.org, dan at truthnewsnet.org. So let's get right down to business. I just got notification we do have a trip in the auction at Evangel. So there you go. It'll be a beach trip, too. Uh, very little better than Redneck Riviera, which is along northwest Florida and the extreme southern southeast coast of Alabama. Whitest sand in the United States of any beaches. I promise you. Even Florida. Way, way, way whiter than the California beaches. On to business. How about let's do that today? Um, This thing in Afghanistan, everyday folks, it just dominates a news cycle. Uh, You look at it, you listen, you try to find reasoning for the things that are going on. And I can't ever point to any justification for the choices and decisions that are being made almost entirely, all of them, in the Biden administration. And this one, the latest one, just blows my mind. It was announced by... The Washington Post, by the way, that CIA Director Bill Burns, William Burns, yesterday, guess what? He secretly met with the leader of the Taliban in Kabul. And it's been confirmed that's exactly what happened. It was the highest level in-person meeting between the Biden administration and the Taliban since the group took control of Kabul earlier this month and all of Afghanistan, by the way. The meeting took place just as the U.S. is continuing to evacuate Americans still in Afghanistan 
and also Afghan allies who have assisted U.S. forces before the government fell. France, the U.K., and Germany all want us to find a way to extend the August 31st withdrawal deadline so everybody can carry out an orderly exit. But here's the problem. The Taliban says no. They say no. They say there will be dire circumstances, consequences, if we're still there on September 1st. Now, there are a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, Burns actually went and he's negotiating with terrorists. What is the first law when anything happens in U.S. history? We've always been told, because especially with groups like the Taliban, you can bet they're hoping that we leave people, that there are Americans that can't get out before the August 31 thing, and they have an excuse to take hostages. What do they always do? They either make a lot of money by ho- ho- keeping those hostages, or they on international television get to execute American citizens. God forbid that happens. But they always have reasons for doing it. You seldom win when you try to negotiate with terrorists. And as a general rule, if you even watch it in the movies today, anytime there's anybody taken hostage, you always hear some politicians say, we do not negotiate with terrorists. The Biden administration, 180 degrees. Yep, went to the table negotiating with the leader of the Taliban. So the Brit are taking this position. We want to stay longer if it's possible to do that. That's from UK Defense Secretary Ben Wallace. Wallace then did an interview with our buddies in Australia, Sky News, and he actually, he came clean. He said he's pessimistic about the U.S. extending that timeline. I think it's unlikely, he said, not only because of what the Taliban said, but if you look at the public statements by President Biden, I think it's unlikely. This president will not say, will not make a statement. He may have done it privately, but he's certainly not done it publicly, that the United States is 100% all in with our military in Kabul and Afghanistan until we absolutely have every American that's over there evacuated safely. In fact, the Secretary of Defense, the National Security Advisor, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, and Joe Biden all say, we're going to do everything we can do to get them out. To me, that sounds like a betrayal in the making, and I pray, I hope that is not the case. I hope I'm not right. I... Uh, Uh, I heard the Taliban leader say yesterday, we are not extending that August 31 deadline. So even Democrats are weighing in on this. You very seldom hear me quoting House Intelligence Committee Chair Representative Adam Schiff of California. But he relayed yesterday late some sobering news about the situation over there. He told reporters 
evacuations will likely extend past the August 31 deadline, during which time, he said, airport security will remain hostile. Now, what does that mean? Well, he was talking to some reporters on Capitol Hill. He walked out of a classified intel briefing to do it. He said it's very unlikely evacuations in the country will be over by the 31st because of the overwhelming number of Americans. And don't forget, we have Afghan allies, people that have been over there helping us through 20 years, and potential refugees currently stranded in the region and an increasingly hostile security threat. In a sobering voice, which you seldom hear from Adam Schiff, he admitted this, quote, I think it's possible but I think it's very unlikely we'll be out by August 31st. Given the number of Americans who still need to be evacuated, the number of those Afghanis that have visas, the number of others who are members of the Afghan press, civil society leaders, women leaders, it's hard for me to imagine all of that can be accomplished between now and the end of the month. That's just seven days from today, folks. He did, however, emphasize that he is encouraged by the number of people being evacuated from the region every day. We had 11,000 people in a single day, he said. Nonetheless, given the logistical difficulties of moving people to the airport and the limited number of workarounds, it's hard for me to see that being fully complete by the end of the month. 11,000 in one day. You know what they're not telling us? They never tell us. We hear all about the numbers We evacuated this many people. We flew this many people out today. They won't break it down how many of them are Americans. We do know a couple of flights that we've been told a very, 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 very small percentage are Americans. This past weekend, U.S. officials warned the threat of ISIS in the region has increased. That is not a good thing for Americans. And Schiff yesterday echoed those concerns, saying, I think the threat to the airport is very real and very substantial, and this has been a concern of mine for for some days now, that this would make a very attractive target for ISIS or for elements of Al-Qaeda. Here we go, folks. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and now the Taliban? Schiff said an opportunity to attack both U.S. forces as well as Afghan nationals and indeed the Taliban as well and just cause chaos that will prolong us staying there. Whenever you have a mass gathering like that, it's always an opportunity for improvised explosive devices. I mean, you can, you can imagine all kinds of things that will happen. And don't think for a moment that the media exposure this entire debacle is getting worldwide isn't a big deal to ISIS, to the Taliban, and Al-Qaeda. They revel in getting their faces, getting the people that they uh, behead and burn alive or hang, getting all of that in the news. That's a big deal. That's the way they recruit. In July, President Biden expressed his confidence that the withdrawal would be orderly and without difficulty. One month, just one month later, shortly after the Taliban took over, he contradicted uh, contradicted himself 
when he told ABC News that chaos was inevitable, and he said he knew it all along. But he said before that it wasn't going to be. That's one of those things Biden forgot what he said the first time. His credibility damaged again when a classified State Department cable from July showed that Secretary of State Antony Blinken was warned that Kabul would fall into the Taliban hands before the August 31 troop withdrawal deadline. We knew that and didn't take actions. In a statement to reporters, Schiff confirmed U.S. intelligence agencies became increasingly pessimistic about the situation over the past six months. This is the part that blows my mind. They have known, and as Schiff said, he learned in the briefing yesterday, U.S. intelligence agencies have become increasingly pessimistic. Not overnight, folks. Over the past six months. So we've known all along. The Biden administration has known all along. And they didn't do anything to prepare. They didn't take any precautions. It just seems like, to me and probably to you, I know it does to many other people, the people who are around Joe every day, the handlers, we know He's not the one putting the stuff up on the teleprompter or writing the note cards or handling his Twitter account or any of that kind of stuff. There are quote-unquote handlers. Why haven't they kept him abreast of the reality of everything going on? And we got an answer overnight. Guess what it is? White House staff members are too afraid to tell Joe Biden and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan that they're wrong about this whole thing. Quote, people are simply too afraid to tell Biden and Jake Sullivan they're wrong. It's one thing to crack down on leaks, as the president has done. It's another thing to allow a mistake like this. That's coming from a former defense official who is in regular contact with senior White House aides. This White House is very disciplined, especially when it comes to leaks and such. But the downside of discipline is if you're running things like an autocracy, which they are, and you broker no dissent internally, which they are, that's not what the purpose of a White House staff is. Another individual close to the administration said that he asked Biden with no success to reconsider and to keep open Bagram Air Base, which has more runways than Hamid Karzai International Airport and has long been the beating heart of American operations in Afghanistan. Bagram Air Base was reportedly evacuated by the military because of Biden's order to withdraw down to the bare minimum. Manning the air base was therefore untenable. There weren't going to be enough people to do it, so we just bailed. And it's historical, all of the equipment and stuff that were left at Bagram Air Force Base, including 5,000 Taliban, Al-Qaeda, jailed criminals that were released. They were being held on the air base. Meanwhile, a Taliban spokesperson told Sky News of Australia the August 31 deadline for American forces to leave the country will be enforced, further pressuring Biden's failed extraction of the American citizens. 
I mean, folks, just when you think you've heard it all, just when you think there's no more news out there, we just get more and more and more and more. Have you heard about the press briefing yesterday? Jen Psaki, White House Communications Director, got into it with Fox News' Peter Ducey about a word that Peter used when he asked a question. And I thought this is very salient. I saw it reported a couple of times over the night, but I thought you guys needed to hear firsthand. Jen Psaki and Peter Ducey and an argument about the word stranded. There are Taliban fighters right now carrying American weapons. They're wearing American fatigues, the full kit of gear. How is that advancing America's national security interests? Well, Peter, I think my my colleague, Jake Sullivan, spoke to a version of this uh, last week. Um, But let me tell you, uh, let me reiterate some of what he said. Uh, When the president made this decision uh, to bring our men and women home from Afghanistan who were serving. Uh, he knew uh, he made that decision not lightly. He made the decision uh, with a clear assessment from his national security team about what the impacts could be. We have taken steps over the past few months to retrograde materials, to bring materials home, to make them not available uh, to the Taliban. We have taken those steps from our military. But our our uh, choices at hand, the president's choices at hand, were either to equip the Afghan National Security Forces with the materials and the equipment and the weapons they needed to fight or not. He made the decision to equip them with the weapons to fight, and we will continue to take steps to retrograde our materials and equipment. But does the president have a sense that most of the criticism is not of leaving Afghanistan, it's the way that he has ordered it to happen, by pulling the troops before getting these Americans who are now stranded? Does he have a sense of that? First of all, I think it's irresponsible to say Americans are stranded. They are not. We are committed to bringing Americans who want to come home home. We are in touch with them via phone, via text, via email, via any way that we can possibly reach Americans to get them home if they want to return home. There are no Americans stranded is the White House's official position on what's happening in Afghanistan. I'm just calling you out for saying that we are stranding Americans in Afghanistan when when we have been very clear that we are not leaving Americans who want to return home. We are going to bring them home. And I think that's important for the American public to hear and understand. Okay, and then following up on what somebody asked, Jake, the president likes to say America is back, but his policies have Americans getting beat up by the Taliban and Afghans handing babies over barbed wire fences. Is that what he meant when he said America is back? What the president meant is that we are going to continue to lead in the world, including being the leaders in evacuating not just our Afghan partners, not just American citizens, but now also our allies. And we have done that by evacuating approximately 42,000 people over the last month. That is Americans leading. That is our men and women in our military leading on the ground, securing the airport after the Afghans fleed and didn't secure the airport, and ensuring that we are taking care of our partners as we promised to. So stranded is the word that lit Saki's fuse that Peter Ducey used. Oh, you can't say that. I'm calling you out. We are not stranding Americans. We've committed again and again and again. We're going to get everybody out. Did you notice when she gave the number of, we've gotten 42,000 people out, evacuated from Afghanistan in the last month? That's a great thing. How many of those 42,000 are Americans? They won't give those numbers. It's exactly the same thing as 
what they do on the medical front. We'll get into COVID-19 stuff later, but let me point out, they never tell you anymore about how many people are dying from COVID-19. We used to have that as front page news every day. Now, what's front page news? How many new cases there are? How many new people have been tested positive for COVID-19? This is politics, folks. There's a reason why they're not giving you the rest of the story because the rest of the story doesn't play into their narrative. Jen Psaki touted the number 42,000 people that have been removed. I will almost guarantee you of the 42,000, less than 5,000 of those are American citizens. They are loading those airplanes with Afghanis. Refugees, not people, not those that have worked with and for us that we've committed we would get them out. And they're not American people that are getting out. They're purely refugees that Joe Biden's doing the same thing from Afghanistan that he's been doing since the day he was inaugurated president, opening the southern border of the U.S. and letting anybody and everybody come in with no idea of who they are what they're bringing. We don't know how many of those Afghani refugees, and I'm using the term refugee very loosely because I don't even know if they're really refugees. We're talking about the hotbed, the hotbed on earth of terrorism, Afghanistan, the centers for I don't know how many different versions of ISIS and how many different versions there are of Taliban. It's not just one particular line of thinking. There are factions within them by the dozens. How many of these refugees that we, on our dime, on our nickel, have flown without any kind of identification, any kind of knowledge of who they are, where they come from, what their backgrounds are, and certainly not any way to run a background investigation on any of them. And many of them today, this morning, are walking free in the United States of America. We're going to house them. We're going to feed them. We're going to educate them. We're going to take care of them in every way. We haven't had a terrorist action in a long time on the shores of the United States. But you know what? Joe Biden has opened the door. And it's almost certain. I hate to even predict doom and gloom. But it's almost certain. It'll be a, a miracle if we don't have something like this happen. 9-11, 20th anniversary, next week. Now more than ever, you need the truth. Real news. Real truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, The fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? 
Most likely, no. That's why I have Car Shield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. Car Shield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and Car Shield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit CarShield.com. Use the promo code IHEART to save 10%. That's CarShield.com, promo code IHEART. Deductible may apply. give an example as we get back into this thing about Afghanistan and getting people out. Let me give you an example of some of the stuff that's happening. I I cannot comprehend. I can't reconcile. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't want to say I'm too honest or anything, but maybe I am um, gullible. I don't see how people in any presidential administration would even attempt to misrepresent things and give people facts that really are lies, especially in the environment which we find ourselves today. I'm talking about this. Jake Sullivan, you know him by now, the National Security Advisor. His office is right around the corner from the Oval Office in the White House. Jake Sullivan claims over and over and over again that Biden warned Americans Afghanistan withdrawal would be difficulty. I can count three times I've heard him say that when he's questioned by reporters. It's a lie. It's a lie. Jake Sullivan continued to spin this disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan in yesterday's White House briefing, lauding the ongoing airlift. He echoed Biden's claims that any pullout would have involved scenes of chaos regardless of when the U.S. left, a claim that contrasts sharply with what Biden told the world to expect. Joe Biden is only Joe Biden can, gets up on a stage, he grabs a microphone, we've got this thing pending over here, the Afghanistan thing, and he always has been able to paint a rosy picture about what to expect. When asked by a reporter yesterday why Biden had not told Americans that withdrawal would be difficult, Sullivan said this, quote, All along, the president has been clear that the United States was not going to enter a third decade of American military deployment in the middle of another country's civil war. And in his speech in April and in his speech in July and in comments he's made since then, he's been clear that that could mean difficult times in Afghanistan. We've been clear-eyed about this from the beginning, but what we were not prepared to do What the president was not prepared to do was to say that for that reason, we need to keep American men and women fighting and dying in this civil war. Now that's Sullivan, National Security Advisor. He and his boss, Joe Biden, they both obviously forget again and again and again that there's YouTube and that you can go grab every speech, every press conference, everything that any major political person has said. So, 
We did it. Here is exactly what Biden said in April. Quote, we will not conduct a hasty rush to the exit. We'll do it. We'll do it responsibly, deliberately, and safely. And we will do it in full coordination with our allies and partners who now have more forces in Afghanistan than we do. That was in April. Sullivan referenced Biden's speech in July. Here's Biden's speech in July. Quote, the drawdown is proceeding in a secure and orderly way, prioritizing the safety of our troops as they depart. The likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. There's going to be no circumstances where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. He, of course, was referencing Saigon. It is not at all comparable. He also said the U.S. would not leave the Afghan army vulnerable, that we would not walk away and not sustain their ability to maintain that force. At no point in either speech, folks, did he warn that the withdrawal would be difficult. He never even used the word difficult. Now, you remember this about Jake Sullivan. Maybe you don't, but because of YouTube and because we always do research on people that are in high places in whatever administration is in power and the other side of people that want to be in power, Jake Sullivan, folks, was a big-time figure in spreading the Russia collusion hoax, briefing reporters about supposed links between Trump and Russia and he testified to Congress that he believed former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn had been involved in a conspiracy with the Russian government. Sullivan, by the way, now occupies Lieutenant General Michael Flynn's former job at the White House. Michael Flynn, who's been on this show with us here at TNN Live, who was exonerated and had nothing to do in the way of conspiracy with the Russian government, had his life destroyed by Democrats pushing through Robert Mueller and the Mueller investigation with 20 hungry anti-conservative attorneys that were hell-bent on getting Donald Trump putting him in jail, forcing him out of the White House, out of Washington, D.C., and even out of the United States. Jake Sullivan was part of that. So why should we be surprised to hear the man lie through his teeth? So what else is happening? Even more information that we've been lied about. A confidential internal State Department cable was sent to Secretary of State Antony Blinken last month. That's no big deal. It happens all the time, right? Yeah, but this one warned about the potential collapse of Afghanistan following the full withdrawal of U.S. forces on August 31st. Roughly two dozen officials stationed at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul sent a memo through the department's confidential dissent channel to alert the Secretary of State Blinken, along with another stop, uh, top State Department official, the Taliban was well-positioned to take over the country. That's also not what they are telling us or were telling us either. That cable was dated July 13th. It also provided suggestions on what we should do 
to counter the threat from the insurgent group and speed up the evacuation process. What were those recommendations? Okay. A suggestion to use tougher language when describing the atrocities that the Taliban had already committed. A source familiar with the cable defended the secretary's actions. It was immediately brought to the secretary's attention, and he personally approved the response. That's what that source said. We appreciated the thoughts of the drafters, which reflected much of the thinking at the department and throughout the interagency. For example, the cable coincided with our launch of Operation Allies Refuge, the effort to bring these SIV, those Afghan applicants, to the U.S. We have consistently encouraged constructive use of the channel, which this was, and we conveyed that sentiment in our response. All of this is going on behind the scenes. Very critical, very important part of the process. Parts of the process Americans never see. We never see any of that. Isn't it interesting that these people that intimate to us and tell us over and over and over again every day, press briefings, I mean, dozens and dozens of questions with answers, They make sure that we all understand they've got everything under total control. They've got everything taken care of. All the I's dotted, T's crossed. Meanwhile, we heard yesterday this mom, this American citizen, a mother, is in Kabul, cannot get out, is fearful for her life, and she, it's been all over national television overnight and this morning, she used the term the Biden administration has stranded her and other American citizens that she knows in Afghanistan. And they are not getting any kind of information from the State Department, from anybody with our American government. They don't know what to do. And they are positive if they're not evacuated, they're going to be killed by the Taliban. But put that in context of this fact. The Biden administration, they still can't offer a specific number of Americans that are still in Afghanistan. And that's drawing criticism from everybody, especially our allies and, of course, people that are conservatives in the United States. A lot of them are military members that went over there and fought. Jake Sullivan said yesterday, The reason it's so difficult to pinpoint an exact number was because some Americans didn't notify the embassy when they arrived in Afghanistan or when they left. Now, let me put that in context. This is a a country you don't just, oh, I think I'm going to run to Afghanistan for the weekend. You don't do that if you're in America. You've got to get a visa. How do you get a visa? You contact the U.S. State Department. And there is an application you fill out online. You fill it out. You send it in. And included in it is who you are, all your background information, when you're going, what country it is. Afghanistan is an example. What you're going to do when you get there, where you're going to be when you're there, and when you're leaving. And your visa is date-specific. Think about that in the context of what he said yesterday, Sullivan said yesterday. We had no idea where they were. That's total BS. And here's what they're doing. That's premeditated lying. 
There is no question about it. They know that's not true, that they have the ability. Somewhere in their data, they have all that information. They just didn't bother to put it somewhere where they could pull out a report very quickly that shows who was there, where they were in the country, not just in Kabul. A lot of people are outlying different parts of the country. A bunch of missionaries, a bunch of contractors. And he's saying the reason we can't give you a number is because we don't know. And instead of acknowledging that they're stupid for not knowing that one very important thing, they put it on someone else, the responsibility. Here's the excuse that we can't give you that information. They didn't tell us. Filled out exhaustive documentation. In fact, when the State Department gets an application for someone that wants a visa, they have to clear it with the Afghanistan Department of State, whoever does that over there, because they don't want people in their country that they don't know. It's just one thing like that after another. And our allies, Biden, he continues to say every day, as does Jake Sullivan, oh, we talked to our allies. Sullivan said, I spent days in Belgium, Brussels, Belgium, at the at the NATO headquarters talking with our allies. They're all in. They're in full support of everything we're doing. Yesterday, a member of the United Kingdom Parliament asked this question during an interview. The only question to ask Joe Biden now is what are you going to do next? That came from Conservative Party Parliament member Tom Tugendhat. What are you going to do for the refugees? What are you going to do for those who are seeking refuge around the world? Now, they have, they have a, a place to point back to in Europe. They faced a refugee flashpoint back in 2015. Remember that? Those Syrian refugees flooded into Europe, all across Europe leading its leaders to be less welcoming in the wake of the looming crisis from Afghanistan. They had some bad things that happened, folks. I mean, I remember we published a story about what was going on in Germany that involved those Syrian refugees. There were thousands that just flooded into Germany. And pretty much the German government just opened up and said, y'all come on in, kind of like Biden's done in the United States at our southern border and as now is doing for the Afghan refugees. Y'all come on in. We're going to take care of you. And I remember one specific part of that story was women in, I believe it was Munich, Munich, Germany, big city. Women were scared to death. German women were scared to death to even go out. When I say go out, out on the streets of Munich during the day and especially not at uh, nighttime. Those refugees were robbing people, killing people, raping women. And the German government had no clue who these people were. They just, as what they thought were going to be good partners in the world, let these people come in and help get them resettled and get a real life put back together. So this this guy, this member of the parliaments, he's referring back to that. And it wasn't just in Germany, folks. There were every one of the countries that took those refugees experienced the same kind of problems. 
asking Joe, what are you going to do to ensure that the alliance between us and the United States is, we all understand what it is, what it's based on, trust, based on values, based on the belief that we all know that we're in this together. There are a bunch of folks around the world who are looking at us, looking at the UK, looking at our other NATO partners. And of course, they're wondering what a commitment means if you spent $2 trillion, if you lost in the U.S. case nearly 2,500 U.S. soldiers, and you're still going to pull out overnight? What does that leave as a legacy for others? What does that leave for us, your partners around the world and in Europe and in NATO? What are we supposed to think about what you're willing to do? It's almost like you don't care. Oh, it was just $2 trillion. Oh, it was just 2,500 U.S. soldiers. No big deal. We're just going to keep rolling. And he took it one step further. He said, this doesn't need to be defeat, but at the moment, it sure feels like it. To see the U.S. commander-in-chief call into question the courage of men that I fought with, he's talking about those Afghani soldiers. And Biden, who earlier in the year, folks, you remember his speech? He was asked about could the Afghan army Were they committed? Could they keep the Taliban at bay if we left? And Biden kind of blustered and said, absolutely, we know that for a fact. How do you know that, Mr. President? And he started naming off. They have 300,000 people in the Afghan army that we've trained, we've armed, we've made sure they have all the infrastructure they need to take care of it. And it's because we're the United States of America. They're going to be fine. And the Brits and everybody else have seen what happened. I mean, the Afghan army, they just laid down their weapons and basically gave the Taliban everything as they swept across Afghanistan, headed to Kabul, which they immediately took over as well. So our partners around the world, they're not too sure about what we're going to do, about what Joe Biden is going to do. And it's it's not just about this Afghanistan thing. Folks, there are a lot of people around the world They look to the United States. Almost every country on the planet looks to us for guidance. Whenever they get in a jam, they look to us for assistance. That's the nation we've always been. You go to to the harbor, south end of Manhattan, Lady Liberty with that torch up in the world, and she's welcoming and writing people coming from every country that need freedom, that need to get away from all sorts of problems. We're the home of helping other people. And here we are, they're watching as it looks like this administration is going to give up on our own people. We won't even commit that we're going to stay in Afghanistan until every U.S. citizen is evacuated. They won't even say that. So just imagine you're that mom that we heard, many of you heard on the radio and on television, calling back to the U.S. out of Afghanistan, a U.S. citizen, scared for their lives. They believe with no question if the U.S. doesn't get them out, if the military leaves before they're out, they're going to die at the hands of the Taliban. And if you're an American citizen, right now under these circumstances, with the television cameras worldwide shining the light on you 24-7, and you have a chance to 
all, let's say, execute a bunch of American citizens on camera, you can bet that's exactly what they're going to do, and these people know that. So what does everybody else think? What did they think about our president? Well, here's just one opinion. Now, we all know that this has been a horrible week for America, her allies, and freedom lovers everywhere. And it's also been a terrible week for Joe Biden, about whom even Democrats are now starting to say out loud what we have been saying on this program for more than a year. What has happened in Afghanistan represents the worst humiliation the U.S. has suffered since the fall of Saigon or the Iran hostage crisis. But what is more disturbing is how Joe Biden reacted to this debacle, a debacle entirely of his own making. We've all seen the pictures. We've seen those hundreds of people packed into a C-17. We've seen Afghans falling. That was four days ago, five days ago. What did you think when you first saw those pictures? What I thought was we have to gain control of this. Four, Four or five days ago? Actually, sorry, Mr. President, that occurred just two days before the president tried to justify himself to American ABC's George Stephanopoulos. But that's what you get when your commander in chief keeps track of the days by what color ice cream they serve him after dinner. Here's a bit more from the interview. You tell me if you can understand what he's saying. When you look at what's happened over the last week, was it a failure of intelligence, planning, execution, or judgment? Look, I don't think it was a failure. Look, it was a simple choice, George. When the, when the Taliban, uh, let me back and put it another way. When you had the government of Afghanistan, the leader of that government, getting in a plane and taking off and going to another country, when you saw the significant collapse of the, of the uh, Afghan troops we had trained, up to 300,000 of them, just leaving their equipment and, and, and taking off, that was, you know, I'm not, this, it, it, that, that's what happened. That's simply what happened. Excuse me, Mr. President, would you like some dressing with your word salad? That interview went on with, among other things, the president claiming that he was never warned that the Afghan government was about to collapse, meaning he was either engaging in a massive act of gaslighting or, just as likely, he simply forgot. And there have been reports that ABC actually cut some of the worst part of that interview, making that the best he had to offer. Now, look, I'm going to be frank here. It's one thing to joke about Joe Biden's verbal miscues and corn pop memories. But the fact is, there's just something not right with the guy. Instead of coming out and owning this crisis, a crisis of his own making, Joe Biden spent the week cowering at Camp David. After the collapse of Afghanistan, Biden vanished for two days, only returning briefly to read a speech off a teleprompter and take no questions. Tuesday this week was also a wash, with the president not to be seen. On Wednesday, he read another script, this time about vaccine boosters off a teleprompter again with no questions from the press. When he did make an appearance Friday, it was to blatantly lie and claim that Americans abandoned by their government and trying to get out of Afghanistan were having no trouble at all getting to the airport. Does he really think it's just a matter of accepting the surge charge on a Kabul Uber to get out of there? Look, you get the idea. Where is the guy? And what is going on with him? It's no wonder that in Washington, rumors are beginning to churn about Biden's mental capacity and even using the 25th Amendment of the Constitution to remove him from office. But there's only one problem. Who would take his place? If you thought the obvious answer was Kamala Harris, well, not so fast. Yes, the word around Washington is that she has been sniffing around to see whether she could whip the support she needs among the cabinet. 
But if Democrats think that if there's a less appealing prospect than sticking with Joe Biden for three more years, it's putting Kamala Harris, a woman whose ambition exists in direct opposition to her ability, in his place. Plus, there's this. In the last election, the U.S. Senate went 50-50. Harris, in a role not just as vice president, but president of the Senate, is the deciding vote in that body. If she becomes president, then not only the Democrats lose control of the upper house, but they also lose their 51st vote to confirm a new vice president as required by the Constitution. So, unless Biden's decline becomes even more dramatic and harder to hide, and let's not count that out, the Democrats are stalemated on this one. Sadly, the rest of the world is now, too. We're all <laughs> at the same place. I mean, we're all wondering what the heck can be done. Well, guess what? As you always expect, Dan has an answer. Hmm, what could that answer be? We'll get right to it right after this, this short breakaway at Truth News Network, TNN Live. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmade's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmade's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it for a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies, available wherever fine candies are sold. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh my god, it talks! Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry! Save the children! Save them! What? Stay back, I've got mace! Ow, that went in my eyes! We're moving! It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee, fi, fo, foam. I smell the. I, I smell, uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm. That does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, you mind if I have a bite? Sure. I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal. Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. 
topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Is the insanity making your head spin? Okay, let's sit down and figure this out together. Again, Dan Newman. I know, going into the break, I promised you I've got a solution for all this, a suggestion or two. Before we get to that, maybe you're wondering, since you just heard a little bit of conversation about Kamala Harris, the possibility of the 25th Amendment, that's where the vice president and the consensus of uh, people that serve in the cabinet will sign off verifying that the president, whoever it is in office at the time, is uh, mentally incapable of carrying out the job of president. If that were to happen, yes, the vice president always steps up. But the vice president then, as happened when Richard Nixon left office, uh, Gerald Ford wasn't the vice president at the time, but he had become the vice president by a resignation of Nixon's first vice president, Rockefeller, and um, he did it because of corruption, etc. They had to choose somebody to replace Nelson Rockefeller. How did they choose him? They picked somebody, but it has to go to the Senate for confirmation of who that person would be. That's what they did. That's how Gerald Ford became vice president. And then he, he stepped up to replace Nixon when Nixon resigned. In this case, Harris would be the president, but they would have to come up with a vice president. And if there's a 50-50 tie in the Senate, it is doubtful that the Democrats who chose and would be the ones that would choose who was going to serve to replace Kamala Harris's VP, they got to get it confirmed in the Senate. And they're not going to get their person because there will be a 50-50 tie, Republican and Democrat, if that happens before the 2022 election. Uh, they would have a problem getting a Democrat confirmed. So that could, listen to this, that could potentially see a vacancy at vice president with Kamala Harris as president of the United States. Now, did that make you just throw up a little bit in your mouth? I don't know Kamala Harris personally, but I, I don't know anybody that ran for federal office this time around. I don't. But just because you don't know them personally doesn't mean you don't have an idea and can't make a reasonable opinion about the job they would do when you look at the jobs that they've done in the past. Kamala Harris, to be quite honest with you, she's been a feckless member of the U.S. Senate, also as Attorney General of the State of California, and even as a prosecutor up in San Francisco. She doesn't have a great history at making a lot of positive uh, accomplishments when she served the people of California. And I don't expect it to be a lot better. I can't imagine getting so much more additional responsibility would in any way change her capabilities and certainly wouldn't change the way that she would function. So how can we get, I was going to tell you Kamala Harris and what she's been doing, by the way, and I forgot. She has been over in Asia. She went to Singapore and yesterday, during an appearance with the Prime Minister of Singapore, both of the leaders were asked by the press that were there 
about our withdrawal and the evacuation process in Afghanistan. Harris was being asked what she thought went wrong. Here's what she said. Your VP, quote, I understand and appreciate why you asked the question. And I think there's going to be plenty of time to analyze what has happened and what has taken place in the context of the withdrawal from Afghanistan. But right now, we are singularly focused on evacuating American citizens, Afghans who worked with us, and Afghans who are vulnerable, including women and children. She added, we have a responsibility and we feel a deep commitment to making sure that folks who helped us are safe. She went on to praise Biden for having, quote, shown great emotion in expressing sadness about some of the images we have seen. But she reiterated that the U.S. cannot be distracted in any way from what must be our primary mission right now, which is evacuating people from that region who deserve to be evacuated. Here's a difference between, one big, big, big difference between Mike Pence as vice president, Kamala Harris as vice president, Donald Trump as president, Joe Biden as president. You wouldn't have heard a VP. You wouldn't have heard a president with the previous tandem still in office. You wouldn't have heard anything about a major commitment to everybody that is in a bad spot. And I'm paraphrasing what she said and what Joe Biden has said. But there's no commitment to Americans from either one of these two. They will not make the commitment we are in, period, at getting every American out. And when you look at the numbers of people that have gotten out, that the United States has gotten out on these military and civilian jets that have been brought into this evacuation process, probably, and they won't give us the numbers. They have the numbers, folks, but they don't want us to hear and know the numbers because the numbers are staggering. How many more people that are non-Americans are getting out of Afghanistan when we have Americans Thousands of Americans that are stuck there and this administration's not committed to go getting them and staying put and demanding, not trying to negotiate some deal with the leader of the Taliban, but demanding we want unfettered access to every American and we demand it and if we don't get it, there will be hell to pay. The Afghanis, they know what we can do. The Taliban knows what we can do. And just because they've won a little skirmish, getting a Air Force base, getting a bunch of military equipment, a whole bunch, hundreds of billions of dollars worth of stuff, just because they've been given that. Yeah, they have seen we're not as tough as we previously were, and we're certainly not as tough as people, our allies around the world, thought we were with this guy in office. But they need to know that you mess with Americans, you mess with the biggest giant on the planet, and there's going to be a big price to pay. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, they're not going to do that. The Biden intelligence agencies, they're not going to do that. So the Taliban doing what they've done, they seized the whole nation of Afghanistan and they've been emboldened by Biden's senseless decisions to yank these U.S. troops out of the country without a plan of any kind. That blindsided the Afghan government, the Afghan military, 
and America's allies. This reckless decision by this president has led to bipartisan criticism here and from our global allies and ridicule by our adversaries. Biden's attempts to blame everybody but himself for all of this, his refusal to take press questions for nearly a week, except for the little guy, George Stephanopoulos, from ABC, and when you find out that they edited out a bunch of the bad stuff of that interview, add that to Biden's decision to hide at Camp David while the events unfolded, what does he expect to get but anything but criticism? As commander-in-chief, folks, he's at fault. He bears the responsibility for every part of this. It all happened on his watch with him in charge, pulling the levers and making all the decisions. But as senior national security advisors also bear responsibility for implementing Biden's irresponsible policies in Afghanistan instead of resigning and reporting them to Congress. It's important to stress Biden had bad instincts on national security when he was a younger man. We told you what Robert Gates wrote. Biden has been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue over the past four decades. Now that Biden appears to be suffering some mental decline, he's making national security decisions that are irrational and folks, they're dangerous for all of us. And this goes beyond Afghanistan. It goes to nuclear talks with Iran and failing to secure our southern border. In a perfect world, he would immediately resign, be impeached, or be removed from office under the 25th Amendment. To remove the president under the 25th, the VP and the majority of the cabinet would need to determine he's unfit to serve. Congress would then need to approve that process by a two-thirds vote in both chambers, And it's hard to see how a majority of Biden's cabinet or two-thirds of the Democrat-controlled Congress would agree to do that. Impeachment, you got to have the passage of articles of impeachment by a majority of the House, and then a conviction and removal by a two-thirds vote in the Senate. Democrats aren't going to let that happen now. It possibly could happen in early 2023 if Republicans take control of Congress in the midterms. Now, since removing Biden from office is not possible, it's not going to happen right now anyway, other action have got to be taken. What are those, Dan? Replace his top national security advisors with some real experts who have the experience, the principles, and the gravitas to reverse the damage Biden's doing today to our national security and will stand up future unsound and dangerous decisions by this president. i got to be honest with you. It's pointless now for Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, for Lloyd Austin, General Austin, Secretary of Defense, and Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mark Milley to claim or leak to the press that they oppose Biden's decision to rapidly withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan They knew the decision was wrong. They knew it was dangerous. They were duty-bound to resign and report what he was doing to Congress, and they didn't do it. Making it worse, most of Biden's senior national security advisors are unqualified yes-men. That's their only qualification. Yes, sir, Mr. President. Yes, sir. And you put put aside Vice President Harris, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, 
National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan are third stringers out of their league. All three are. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin apparently has so little influence with Biden, the president forgets his name multiple times and has at a press conference. And if I was going to point a finger at somebody and say the word racist, Lloyd Austin's black, maybe Joe's, forgets who Lloyd Austin is because he's black. Just saying. Blinken, Sullivan, and Austin, and also Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, they got to go. They got to go, folks. They got to be replaced with more experienced and competent experts in this. Democrats, Senator Chris Coons, former Representative Jane Harmon, former Representative Elliot Engel, former Secretary of the Navy, Senator Jim Webb, or defense expert Michelle Flournoy would do a far better job in those roles. They're Democrats, folks. Deputy secretaries and other low-level national security officials also should be replaced with more competent experts. Biden should make CIA Director William Burns, you know, the guy who went in the deep of the night, went and met with and negotiated with the leader of the Taliban in Kabul. His only competent cabinet-level national security official, Burns, and he needs to go. Is there a chance Biden would ever make these moves? You know, there might be. Because replacing his national security team would be seen as taking bold and decisive actions in response to all the outrage from both parties over his policies and questions about his leadership over there. Biden and Democrats in Congress also might support this course of action because it would allow Biden to shift the blame for his Afghanistan policy onto others. Although this would be highly unfair and dishonorable, it may be necessary to convince Biden to name some highly qualified and principled people as his top security advisors. Novel idea, get the most qualified, huh? Not the most in the tank Democrats that think just like you and are nothing but yes men and yes women. His senseless Afghanistan policy, his unmistakable signs of mental decline, strongly suggest he's not capable of serving as commander-in-chief. Democrats almost certainly will not agree to remove him, so their Republican colleagues must pressure them to pursue the next best option, surrounding Joe with very qualified, highly qualified and principled national security experts who will not tolerate more irrational national security decisions. And this has got to happen, folks, to safeguard our national security and to even reassure our partners around the globe that we still have good leadership. We need bipartisan action to compel Biden to take this action. And sadly, I'm going to tell you this. He probably would come closer than any previous president that I could think of in doing this for one major reason. He refuses to take responsibility for any bad choices that are made on his watch. Sadly, by shelling all of these people and replacing them with people that are really better and doing so just because he needs better people, he won't do that. He'll do it because he doesn't want to look bad. 
He wants to deflect the responsibility for all this. He wants to be able to say, I got bad advice. This is what they told me the case was. This is what my experts told me the actions that we should do. They failed me, and they failed the American people. He's going to have a scapegoat, and the scapegoat are going to be people that he appointed to serve with him in the presidential administration. Can you believe we're actually having this conversation, removing a president, considering doing that, or in lieu of being able to do that, short of him resigning, having to go find some other way to get people in place that will make good decisions? Here's my question about that. It's a great idea if he'll do that. But he's never been a businessman. He's never run a business. He's never made a payroll. He doesn't know what doing that kind of stuff is. He has no history of working closely with people very successfully. He's always had handlers. He's always had people that worked for him. He never got down in the weeds to make educated decisions on anything. So he doesn't know. He doesn't understand any of that. Even if these people could be changed out and some real experts put in their place, I have very little, if not maybe none, no confidence that this guy would even contemplate doing it or even if he contemplated doing it, he would put the right people in the right places to stop this insanity. So we haven't even talked about COVID-19. We just have a few minutes left. Let me just tell you what's coming down the pike, folks. Vaccine, vaccine mandates are coming right down the pike. Now, yesterday, you may remember George Mason University. We told you about a professor there who um, had been tested multiple times and was tested and had natural immunity. George Mason University fired him because he wouldn't get the vaccination. He filed a lawsuit against the university. Todd Zawicki, the law professor, said he had COVID-19 and he defeated it. Therefore, his natural immunity should prevent him from having to get the vaccination. Remember back in the early days, Anthony Fauci standing up in front of the press briefing with the president there, we've got to get to herd immunity. We've got to get to herd immunity. What is that? So many people have had the vaccine. Their bodies have created natural antibodies, and they're going to be passing all of those along to the rest of us. The more people that get it, the more people will get healed from it naturally, and that way we get to herd immunity. Oh, they quit touting that. Now we got to vaccinate. That's the only way to get to any immunity. So he got his medical exemption from George Mason University. Natural immunity is there. What else is going on with COVID-19, folks? I'm just telling you, watch closely. You're not getting all the truth. You're not getting all the facts. They're giving us the skyrocketing case numbers, but they're not telling us that fewer people are dying. They're not telling us that the skyrocketing uh, numbers of cases Many of those, many, 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 most of those in some cases are people that have been vaccinated, most of them double vaccinated. 
Sadly, folks, that's all the time we have for the show today. Wow, it went quickly. Thank you for being here every day. Thanks for being a part of this. Weigh in anytime. Let us hear your comments, your questions. You can always call in live on the show, or you can email me at dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Make sure you're here tomorrow morning. Make sure you grab the story tomorrow morning. Another good one from our guest contributor. I'm stuttering. Guest contributor, Kelly Nelson. Another great story. I love when she adds content, very meaty content for all of us here at Truth News Network. It's Tuesday. Promise me this one thing. You'll have a big day, a great day. Squeeze somebody you love. Tell them that you love them. See you tomorrow. They paid paradise and put up a fucking lie With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got till it's gone They paid paradise and put up a fucking lie They took all the trees and put them in a tree museum and charge the people a dollar and a half to see them No, 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 don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got till it's gone You'd be in paradise and put up a fucking lie Taxi took my girl away Now don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got Till it's gone If he's paradise Put up a fucking lie And now, now Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you got Till it's gone If he's paradise Put up a fucking lie Why not they pay paradise to put up a parking lot